2: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500.
0: This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and
3: 30-day trial.
0: One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Beverly Hills, California, and in particular, the Montage Hotel. Taking your calls at 888-887-3837, that's 888-88-PETER, and if you can't get through on the phones, you know exactly what to do. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. Well, here we are in the heart of the Golden Triangle. No, we're not talking about poppies and uh, heroin. In, in Asia, this is the Golden Triangle of Beverly Hills. Uh, this hotel, they broke ground here in 2005, about a $300 million investment. And uh, it is a private luxury hotel company uh, that's uh, perfectly positioned right now uh, as, as the newest real big entrant in Beverly Hills, a, a, a city that hasn't really had a new hotel uh, in a long, long time. Uh, uh, now, a lot of things to talk about in the news. So let's get that out of the way first. And then we can talk about a lot of more fun things in Beverly Hills. Uh, My next guest has been all over the world many times with me, or I should say I've been all over the world many times with him. Uh, He's the president, CEO, and founder of Operation USA. And when we talk about stuff in the news, uh, sadly, we have to talk about Operation USA because it's because of the news that Operation USA exists. Uh, They do unbelievable work in areas that are in need. Uh, where disaster strikes, uh, whether they're natural events or or, or, or wars, uh, and uh, Richard Walden has been doing this for how many years, Richard?
4: 37.
0: But who's counting? Uh, bottom line is, whether there's an earthquake in Nepal or more, or more recently, the terrible earthquake in Ecuador, uh, his people, his teams are on the ground uh, within hours, sometimes maybe a day or two, with much-needed supplies. He is a master magician of Uh, convincing CEOs of airlines to give them 100,000 pounds of cargo space at a moment's notice to get the right people to the right place with the right equipment to give the help where it's needed the most. Most. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you. I mean, we talk about Nepal. It's it's over
4: a year since that earthquake, and they're still in bad shape. It's a complete mess. There was $4.1 billion pledged by the world's governments, the World Bank, other multilateral donors. Almost none of that money has gotten there because the Nepal government collapsed, essentially. It's dysfunctional. So you've got millions of Nepalis still either living large outside or in very tenuous circumstances. Uh, Nobody's gonna send that money, and those governments, as you well know, will reprogram that commitment somewhere else if it doesn't happen. The private groups, like Operation USA, uh... have been doing okay nepal has been a major aid recipient of small types of things that are tied to mountain climbing or buddhism or what have you for decades but that's not the kind of money that is going to take to rebuild the place
0: and uh... in the interest of full disclosure you know thirty seven years ago when you founded this
4: you did it there's a beverly hills connection we we founded it as operation california we were based at uh... foothill and third in beverly hills uh, it was it struck people as funny until we told them that Julie Andrews was a co-founder with me, and they said, "Oh, okay, she lives in Beverly Hills at that time," <laughs> and so it sort of it, it sort of took the laugh out of it. But uh, we changed our name to reflect our national constituency. We are not government funded, despite our name Operation USA. We are not a religious group, and we don't have an endowment. So every year starts out with. Donated corporate supplies healthcare companies supplies equipment and of course the travel industry being the bulwark of it that's how we started we got a donated dc-10 from what was McDonnell Douglas aircraft when the planes were all grounded we convinced the chairman of McDonnell Douglas in 1979 he needed some good PR he gave us a cargo plane we flew it to a refugee camp for Vietnamese boat refugees in Malaysia and from there the The story, as you well know, was the airline industry jumped in both passenger and cargo carriers. Uh, United, in particular, for the last 18 or 19 years, has been a major donor. And what United does, let's say, in Ecuador, um, is they set up a crowdfunding site with just two or three charities on it. And they send to all their frequent flyer members. to donate either miles directly to us or to donate cash, and United will give them some miles as a bonus, as a thank you.
0: And I will say this, you know, if you take a look at what happened in Ecuador, the coastal cities got hit pretty hard, but the capital city of Quito, a UNESCO World Heritage site, uh, was not that badly damaged. The airports are open, the hotels are open, the restaurants are open, and in a country that where the where the oil prices have essentially flatlined, They depend so much on travel and tourism as an economic driver and and employment opportunity that this is probably the best time, not for first responders, it's the best time for
4: travelers to go visit and spend their money in Quito because it's open. And the last time we were in fact in Ecuador was 1987 when there was a quake on the Amazon side in eastern Ecuador and two of us, uh, two of my staff flew down and We're given a helicopter by the government to do a needs assessment up along the Amazon, and we were able to get an airline to fly some stuff in for us. This one is going to be a very long-term thing. Because Because the roads. Roads are lousy. Luckily, the port of Guayaquil, which is the southernmost part that the quake touched, is functioning, and that'll be the supply depot. It's not going to be Quito. Uh, it'll be shipping. No, to but for, for
0: people listening to this program who are just travelers and nothing wrong with being a traveler, this is the time to go there because, they, first of all, they need your support as travelers. Mm-hmm.
4: They're functioning very, very well. And what better time to go than when they need you? You and I think alike on that. I think it's always good to do that. We told people to go to Haiti after the quake. Not during the cholera epidemic, but after the quake earlier. Sure. Um, because there were some things that were functioning, and it's important to support the economy. because you imagine, the tourism industry was just decimated by that. But the quake, like this thing in Ecuador, did not affect the entire country. Large parts of Haiti were unaffected by it. Cruise lines were still going to private beaches. and It was a little discordant to think of, but they were doing... But it was economic... It was economic aid. Yeah, and also the prices in Ecuador now would be very, very cheap compared to what they were before the quake.
0: Exactly. The website for Operation USA?
4: It's www.opusa.org.
5: Toto, I'm repeating we're not in Kansas anymore.
0: When I think of legends in the hotel business, one man comes to mind because I first met him when he was running the Carlisle Hotel in New York. Then he came out to the Bel Air in Bel Air, California, and not too far from here. And then he's now here at the Montage, uh, holding the distinctive title of ambassador. And ambassador he indeed is, Frank Bowling. How are you, sir?
5: Great to be here, Peter.
0: Frank, you know, you've seen so many changes in the hotel business, but at the, at the five-star level... There are certain things that have never changed, have not they?
5: Certain things never change, but other things have to change. You have to sort of be aware of what your clients want. There's a certain amount of standards that we have to keep, but then we have to You have adapt. to adjust. You have to adjust. You have to adjust to what your clients want.
0: Well, when I first met you, you know, I mean, the Carlisle was one of those great iconic hotels where Bobby Short was playing. Uh, now Woody Allen on Monday nights, if you're lucky enough to sneak in there with him. Still there. He's still there. And, of course, the Carlisle Hotel, the, uh, the home of uh, John F. Kennedy when he was president, who used to sneak across the street when nobody was looking on Madison Avenue. We know those stories. But when you look at the Carlisle, even today, very little has changed.
5: Very little. When I'm in New York, I usually stay at the Carlisle. And you might know somebody there, huh? There's still so many of, uh, <laughs> of my old staff who still work there. And so it's a pleasure to pull up the front door, the doorman greet as you walk downstairs, the bellboy you, the front staff, teach that the concierge, hello, the, uh, the elevator operator. It's literally like going and on. And by the
0: way, did you hear what Frank just said? The elevator operator. There are only, I think, maybe three hotels left in New York that have elevator operators. One is the, the Carlisle, one is the Pierre, and one is the Sherry Netherlands. And I think that's it.
5: Mm-hmm. Wow. As far as I know. But it's a wonderful comfort to go in late at night in New York City for single lady travelers who we used to keep a special eye on. And it's a sense of comfort when you go in there.
0: Exactly. And then, of course, the Bel Air, the legendary Bel Air, with the home of so many great stories. And now one of the newest entrants in the luxury travel market right here in, in, in Beverly Hills, the Montage. The Montage Hotel. Ta- great location. <laughs>
5: It's the best location in the city. Because? Not only that, but we also have our park. This is in walking distance of everything in Beverly Hills. And by the
0: way, when Frank says it's in walking distance of everything in Beverly Hills, this is a city where nobody walks. So, I mean, if you go back and watch LA Story with Steve Martin, I mean, nobody walks. So if Frank says you can actually walk it... He's not kidding, and you can actually walk
5: it. They're the natives here. They're the natives who don't walk, but most of our guests are from out of town, and so they do like to walk. They don't always have to have a car. I will tell you
0: my native story. My mother was born and raised here in Los Angeles, and, oh, about 25 years ago she came out to visit me, and, uh, and so she wanted to drive, and I didn't want her to drive. And she, said she insisted on driving. So I said, okay, and I loaned her my car, and she never showed up. Where's she supposed to go? And I finally and I and you know she didn't have a cell phone. And finally I got a phone call from the Beverly Hills Police Department. She was pulled over for driving too slowly. Uh, uh. And when she got pulled over, she remembered Beverly Hills when it was all orange groves. And and so she and the cops were like 26 years old. So she she was I went and picked her up at the police station. They loved, they didn't want her to go. She was telling them all the history about what who used to live over here and Carrie Carrie Grant and Clark Gable over here and, and You know what? You can do the same thing. You know.
5: When I first moved here 22 years ago, I had to learn to drive. I'd never need to drive (laughs) in in New York or in London before that. And I live five blocks from here, and I drive to work. My New York friends are horrified that I would drive five blocks to work. They don't know that I drive four blocks to the market.
0: Although your New York friends would come out here and try to hail a cab and be terribly disappointed. So it works both ways. Exactly. The
5: that I do walk, actually, Peter, I, I walk about twice a week I walk. And sometimes a police cruiser will cruise the street and slowly pull up and say, do you need help, sir? And say, Oh, no, I'm just walking to work. Well,
0: you know what, Frank? I, I got to give you the part B of that story. So I took the car away from her. She went. She, she started to walk in Beverly Hills. She was walking down Sunset Boulevard over by the, the, Be- the Beverly Hills Hotel. Mm-hmm. She got pulled over for walking. And... <laughs> And next thing you know, I had to go pick her up. And they knew her by this time. I had to go pick her up at the police station. It was like Beverly Hills Cop Part 3. You know, I loved it. But the point is, you really can walk to everywhere from here.
5: Yes, you can. We're a block from Rodeo Drive. We have our own park. Cannon Drive is Restaurant Row. Beverly Drive is sort of what Rodeo was several years ago before it became Rodeo Drive with smaller boutique style shops. We have our own park here in front.
0: Now, is it true that on Rodeo Drive, when they have a sale, they reduce things to retail? (laughs) I just want to know, is that?
5: Well, we still have needless markup, don't forget. Yes. I,
0: they're on Wilshire. On Wilshire. Absolutely. What's been the biggest surprise to you coming to the montage that you weren't expecting?
5: The way the clientele has changed. In the eight years that I've been here, the hotel has been open seven. I was here a year before. And technology has has forced everyone to to adapt to what our clients want. We've recently installed tablets in every room, and it's been so well-received. I was a little skeptical, I have to say, when we first brought it up. But it's just been so well-received. People love the fact that they can come in, open the shades, put the television on, order a wake-up call. All from the tablet. Everything all from their little tablet. It's an amazing thing.
0: See, now I do all of that from my rotary phone.
5: There you are. (laughs) But you're used to this kind of thing. And it's not only our younger guests. Some of our older guests are also tech savvy. And they they like the convenience of being able to to do that. However, they do have the uh, alternative of being able to pick up the phone.
0: Yes, and they want that personal service.
5: Uh.
2: If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors
3: inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we
0: really don't care. Uh, So much to talk about this city, this community, and I figured, you know what, who better to talk about it than the former mayor, Dr. Julian Gold. Welcome aboard.
6: Good afternoon,
0: and thank you for having me. Uh, you know, you're a New Yorker like I am. I am. Born and I, raised in New York. I you're, was. I, well, I know. I was. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> but you were an NYU graduate, right? Uh, right? NYU Medical School. Right. And, where, and, and what hospitals were you doing? I was at University Hospital, Bellevue Hospital. Okay. My dad was at Bellevue as well, and, uh, and also Mount Sinai. Wow. And then all of a sudden, you woke up one day and said, okay, enough with the salt on the streets in the winter. I'm moving west. Something too, like that?
6: Too cold. and you you moved west I moved west and you're now at Cedars I am at Cedars-Sinai
0: head of anesthesiology true right so you promised not to put me to sleep on the air
6: no (laughs) (laughs) but if I do I'll wake you up that's a good anesthesiologist (laughs) yeah
0: you got to bring me back you got to bring me back when you first came out here what year was that 1982 all right so it's been 34 years it has been a long time right what was the biggest surprise for you then and what's the biggest surprise for you now about Beverly Hills
6: well, I didn't live in Beverly Hills for the first 10 years of my time in Well, they didn't uh, let you. They wouldn't let no, you no, in. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I had to get to know them. Um, Beverly Hills has actually grown. It's become a much more—it was always a sophisticated city. It's a, it's a unique place. It's, it's this green garden spot that has all of this international shopping and this huge reputation and movie stars and all of that. But the reality of Beverly Hills is it's a small town, Right. and there are 35,000 people here. And if you didn't know that it was Beverly Hills, you can be in a small town almost anywhere. Everybody knows everybody's kids, local schools, um, soccer games, Little League.
0: You could even be mayor.
6: You could even be mayor. I mean, what are the chances that a nice Jewish boy from New York, you know, is going to land up being the mayor of Beverly Hills? I mean, it's unfathomable. That's a comedy series on NBC, (laughs) if ever. (laughs) Unfathomable. Uh, But here it is. And, um, yeah, it's been an amazing ride. And as the mayor of Beverly Hills, or when you were the mayor of Beverly Hills, I mean, what comes along with that job? It's not just a ceremonial job. No, it's not. Um, It's a real city. Cities have real budgets and real budgetary uh, problems. Uh, Ours are no different than other cities. Um, You know, the the president, uh, Mr. Obama, said at a U.S. Conference of Mayors that whether you're Democrat or Republican, if you're a mayor, the garbage has to get picked up. Well, you
0: know, it's what Tip O'Neill said. All politics is local. It is.
6: And if you think about it. The garbage
0: has to get picked up. The schools have to run and the buses have to show up.
6: Oh, And the parks have to be pretty. And there have to be after-school activities. The police and fire guys have to show up promptly and be pleasant. Uh, We have to be safe. We have to be happy. Seventy or 80% of what makes people happy comes out of local government. And, um, you know, we don't worry about the big issues. You know, I, I can't worry about those things. But making sure that all of those things that are local... Uh, really are in our purview and are ours to fix.
0: Now, you are on the city council first.
6: I still am. Yep. Yeah, but you started there. I did start on the council. I actually started running, uh, a buddy of mine was running for the school board and an, an orthopedic and he, and, he, and he shamed you <laughs> into, didn't <laughs> Well, not quite. But we were both working in the OR at the time. He was an orthopedic surgeon. I was an anesthesiologist. He said to me one day, I'm going to run for the school board. Do you want to work for my campaign? And I said, sure. What does that mean? And that was kind of the beginning. I ran for the campaign, I enjoyed it. I ran for some others, I got involved. We have a wonderful training program, leadership training program in Beverly Hills called Team Beverly Hills, where we take our residents and put them through 10 or 12 weeks. They get to spend uh, an evening with the fire department and the police department and public works. And, and uh, so I did that, I did and, that. And you can do that in a city that's as small and as manageable as Beverly Hills. Absolutely, we put 500 and some odd people through this training program. And probably seventy percent of the city commissioners have come out of it, and it's just an in-depth view of make, what makes a city run. How do the streets get paved? And how do the streetlights work? And how does the water get delivered?
0: Now, I'm always fascinated with the, with the uh, the sort of the uh, the derivation or the or the or the uh, the history of buildings. And Beverly Hills has a few. Oh, we have many. I mean, the one with Will Rogers
6: is a very funny story. The, you're talking about the post office. The walrus. Oh. Uh, Our most famous Will Rogers, I think our most famous Will Rogers uh, building was the post office. Will Rogers was getting um, mail from all over the world. People all over the world would put it on the envelope, Will Rogers, and it would get to him. And he was living in Beverly Hills. And he went to FDR. It was the Depression time. He said to FDR, I want a post office. (laughs) So FDR built him a post office. He built him a post office in 1933. And today that post office, which is on Santa Monica Boulevard, uh, has been repurposed as the front part of our new Wallace Annenberg Center for the Performing Arts. We're used to buy stamps. Now you buy tickets. And it's extraordinary. You walk in there with the marble floors and the original frescoes and the seal of the United States. You couldn't build that building today. It's extraordinary. Right. It's extraordinary.
0: And they're still late in delivering the mail, so it's okay. <laughs> and some things never change. Some things never <laughs> change. What's the biggest surprise today for you about Beverly Hills?
6: I think really the community style, I mean, now that I know, yeah. but as I got to do it, just the fact that it was such a small town, I think um, what we've tried to do, um, and I think um, having Scarian um, um, here is a, a, is sort of an outgrowth of that, is to keep the city fresh, to keep doing new things, because you can't rest on your laurels and what was once... Uh, exciting, sometimes dulls, and you have to keep it polished. I
0: mean, one of the good stories is when they built this hotel, they mm-hmm. couldn't build it until they satisfied you guys on the parking.
6: Absolutely. Well, parking is a huge issue, parking yeah. and traffic. I started my um, my career, my political career, on the Traffic and Parking Commission. Oh, because- you were Dr. No. Oh, you were Dr. No. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I figured it was something I knew something about. Everybody uh, complained about traffic and parking, so I could do that, you know. And it was true. Everybody complained about traffic and (laughs) parking, so I was clearly an expert in that. But you
0: must have done something, right, because then you became mayor.
6: Well, it took a while, but here I am, yeah. I love it. This is a spectacular hotel. We have a number of spectacular hotels. But I have to say, as I'm sitting here looking at the hills behind you and kind of overlooking um, the view here, it's really just amazing. And they figured out the parking. And they did figure out the parking.
0: And once you can do that in in Los Angeles, because it's all it's all driven by the cars. All,
6: absolutely. Once you do that, anything is
0: absolutely possible. Right. Your favorite place to eat, real fast.
6: Can't tell you that. Yes, you can. I can't. You have I to. I won't. You have I to. I can't. I get killed. Every place in town. You are such a politician. <laughs> I had the fire chief. He told me everything. Did he tell you everything? Yeah. I don't believe it. He's smarter than that.
7: Uh,
2: this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. a motor Head out on the highway. Looking adventure. And whatever comes our way.
0: My next guest uh, has a lot to say about American cuisine. He's so much a part of it. Legendary restaurateur and chef. Opening up a new restaurant here at the hotel called Georgie, but of course I know him for so many other things he's done: the Lambs Club, and the National in New York City, the Water Club at the Borgata in Atlantic City, cookbooks, recipes. He's everywhere. Jeffrey Zakarian, how are you, sir?
7: Peter, how are you? Thank you. That's very kind of you. Welcome to the montage.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, and welcome to you to the montage. Uh,
7: I know, know, I'm so excited.
0: Well, let's talk about that. I mean, what is it that you're doing here? That I, I'll be devil's advocate, you know, because everybody wants to do something new, innovative, cutting edge, or maybe not too cutting edge, maybe more basic. What are you, what's what are you doing here? That's going to be different.
7: Well, <clears throat> uh, you know, first of all, I'm uh, very excited about being in Los Angeles. Uh, the Montage have been great partners, um, and uh, I don't know if I hadn't run into the Montage people if I would be in L.A. this this quickly because uh, I sort of do a lot of restaurants and hotels. I love hotels. Uh, I love the vibe they bring. I love the, the, the sort of roundness of a hotel guest and, and uh, tourists, as well as or food people and everybody coming in at once. But the montage is very special because we're opening a restaurant called Georgie, and it's very much a cocktail-driven. We have two sides. One's the garden bar and one's Georgie, and it's very much cocktail-driven in, in the garden bar. And then Georgia is a large restaurant on the, on the ground floor. So we're, we're very excited about premiering this around June 6th. And, you know, we are not going to come in and do, I would say, cutting-edge food. Uh, I, I, you know, it's very hard to do something that's new. Everything really, in my opinion, is not done before. So we're going to try to do stuff that's really, really good and really do it well. So I'm a big believer in doing focused food that's really good and that is consistent and people really can – Feel that it's really yummy and delicious. So that's what we're trying to do.
0: All right. So it's yummy, it's delicious. Have you figured out, have you crafted the menu yet?
7: We are actually right now working on the menu. Um, We're having a very, one of our final tastings on Saturday, as you know, or if you maybe not know, but one of the, you know, menus are very easy to write. They sort of write themselves because, you know, you're all in your head and then you write it and it sounds great and then you actually get the ingredients and you, you make it. And then it doesn't taste as good as it sounded, <laughs> so <laughs> it's a very, it's just the way it happens. And then you correct it, and you correct it, and you usually do that two or three times to come up with something you feel is correct. Because what what for me is very important is I like to I like to cook for the room, meaning I like to feel the vibe in the environment I'm in. And cook for that environment. I don't want to cook for just cook what I want to do, and then like all of a sudden doesn't match the room. So. At the Montage and Georgie, we're going to have a very, I would say, comfortable, sophisticated room with a lot of color and a lot of comfort. So I, I want to make sure that the food reflects that. So we are now in deep, deep into tasting. And uh, it's, it's it's also it's the biggest part of the work we have to do. It's the most fun, but it's also the biggest amount of work because all the chefs and everybody are really cooking their hearts out trying to design something that really translates so when people walk into Georgie they get a sense like wow this is timeless it's been here forever and that's like sort of challenge Peter for any restaurant it's something that has been here before.
0: All right so let me ask this question because this is perfect timing to ask this question what have you been working on in terms of the tastings as you say deep into tastings that you had a high promise for and then realized this is not going to work let's dump it Versus something that you said, you know what, this has got yeah. no shot in hell, and all of a sudden it's your new fave dish.
7: Well, here's what happens. It's really, it's very, very intuitive that you said that because, you know, I spend a lot of time, you know, coming up with dishes and we test dishes and we think this is going to be great, this is going to be great, and then we actually do it. And then, and well, the problem is, is that when you when you do something that you spend so much time on, the next day that customer comes in. And says, "I like the thing you don't spend a lot of time on the best." <laughs> so it's kind of frustrating, <laughs> but you know you got to listen to them because they're they're it, and and they tell you they navigate. You give them a ship, and then the day the ship gets turned over to you, they get on board. They take the ship over. It's not like we don't take it over anymore. It's them. So it's a very fluid um, conversation, and the customer well, will tell you what they like. So the so stuff I would what we have the to other do. Day, this, so the what stuff we have to people, do. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: I was going to say, what we have to do is is have an additional conversation three months from now and find out what survived.
7: Bingo. And that's, it, you know, that's what happens. The customer comes in, all the work you've done, all the effort, all the trickery, all the beauty, all the this and that, and all the little touches that you put. And they're like, you know what? I love that sweet potato fries. Those are my favorite. And you're like, what? Those <laughs> are like an after. That was an afterthought. <laughs> and, and that's what happens a lot. So the afterthoughts become forefront. And the things you spend so much time on sort of fade
2: away. There you go. Keep that going. This is flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendants on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle. David in the back. My name is David and I'm here to tell you that. Shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be $4. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be $3, and you get the whole can. We won't take your cash, you gotta
0: pay with- Let's talk about another issue that I know you're near and dear to because it's been topic A in the restaurant industry for at least, what, a year in terms of what Danny Meyer was doing, and that is tipping. Um, you know, is that really working out at his restaurants so that the people do not have to tip?
7: I, you know, I can't speak for him. Um, I don't know his inside track. I know he fully committed to doing that. We, as of in New York City, have not. And there has actually been a lot of restaurants in the last week or two have actually tried that out and, and abandoned it. So I think it's an experiment that's worth experiment, experimenting with. But we actually asked our staff if they would rather abandon it or stay with uh, and get a higher hourly. And they all asked for, to stay with tipping. So, I mean, it's, you know, the thing of the matter is with tips, it's very sacred. It's not our money. We have nothing to do with it. And it's very important that they, they make their own decisions. So we try to respect that. So as of now, we're going to stay with our, our, um, our policy, uh, which the vast majority of New York restaurants are very, very vast majority are, are staying with tipping?
0: Exactly. Okay. It'll be interesting to see what happens because
7: yeah, I, think I mean, a lot, I think it's too early, really, right now. But yeah. I, I think that it, it you know, even though the customer said, you know, explain to the customer that it's twenty percent and it's this and that, it, there's some sticker shock involved, and um, there is no free lunch. Either way, <laughs> the customer's paying.
0: I love the idea that you said that quote. I love that. Uh, but here's the thing: it doesn't have a lot to do with price point. I mean, if you're going to, uh, uh, you know, a Denny's, uh, they could probably get away with a different tipping policy than you would be happy with.
7: Well, I mean, a Denny's, would you tip 20%? There's a question. I mean, you don't think you have to tip 20% of the Denny's. Um, But in a restaurant where you have a front waiter, a back waiter, a captain, a sommelier, you're, you're, you're engaging all the staff. It's so expensive. I mean, you know, the largest percentage of cost in a restaurant in our caliber, are it's the payroll, astounding. Right. So, uh, and it's Danny's I can't talk for, it, but I, I know that we're like, it's incredibly expensive for us to run a restaurant, and um, if we end up taking from someone, it for us it seems to me that we're taking from the the customers because they're going to pay anyway. So, it's an interesting experiment. I I, I really you know, I mean I yeah you know, worked in Europe in, in for years, and they don't have any tipping in Europe. So. Uh, it's already included in the bill, but when you you do get sticker shock when you walk into a restaurant in Europe.
0: Oh yeah, and by the way, there's no free lunch at Denny's either.
7: <laughs> no free lunch anywhere.
0: No. All right. Now here's my other question for you, and I, I I always want to engage in a conversation like this. And here's the question: You know, what's better, a restaurant that doesn't uh, insist on reservations? In fact, they don't take reservations, uh, and they, and you have to wait, or a reservation or a restaurant that insists on reservations but they don't honor them? Uh, I, I'm one of those people who believes that a, resta- a restaurant reservation is an implied contract on both ends. If I call up and make a reservation for 8 o'clock, I better show up at 8 o'clock. I mean, that's it's incumbent upon me to do that. Uh, at the same time, if I do show up at 8 o'clock and the table's not ready, what happened to that reservation? You you know what I'm saying?
7: It's not that simple. Because if your table at 8 o'clock on, it's, it's, like a, it's like a it's a crapshoot, so 75 or 80% of the time, if your table is at 8 and that table is then a table, your table was a 6, a clock table, they sat at 6, then that person is going to turn and they're going to leave and then at 8, you're going to be there. The vast majority of time, that works out. The person at 6, has a 6, he shows up at 6.20, suddenly it's eight fifteen, eight twenty. 20 he's getting his coffee, your 8 o'clock is not ready. Whose fault is it? It's a very big issue, and we try to manage it in the restaurant business as well as we can. But we can't go to a customer and say, "Leave," <laughs> because <laughs> why? It, it happens just,
0: to me all the time. No, I'm kidding.
7: <laughs> it just doesn't happen. It just can't do it. So you have a glass of wine. You're very sorry. You might buy a first course, but you know we we manage it so that our turn factor is enough that that we we you know it's like there's enough. You know, fat in the front and fat in the back that we can actually have that happen without I got a problem. Jeffrey's Zakarian, absol- speaking I, about... Max, I'm, I'm the same way as you. I, I think it should be on it, absolutely. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Bruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go
0: If you've been reading magazines like uh, Watch Magazine or Oprah, if you've been uh, listening to the news, you hear about, you know, luxury camping, or you hear about glamping, or you hear about, about getaways. Uh, the, the one thing I hate, and, and my next guest probably hates the word as much as I do, is girlfriend getaway. Um, I mean, please. However, there is, where, you know, if if necessity is truly the mother of invention, then my next guest, who's been on the show before— Uh, will win a prize for that because she runs a group called Camp Powerment. Now I happen to know her because I first met her when she was a producer at NBC when I was at the Today Show and she was hanging out with Katie Couric and producing her stuff and then she got smart she left television. Can I say that?
3: Absolutely. Okay
0: and started Camp Powerment. Tammy Fuller, will you please explain what it
3: is? So Camp Powerment is really a place to go where you can Find your purpose. Figure I, out. I can't go. You can't. Yes, you can. Actually, I right can now, go. Right now, it, there, it's just for women. But we are in the works. Oh we wait, have they're about to make an
0: exception for me. <clears> no, no, not okay, really. No. Actually,
3: the men of of the partners of the women who come to camp have really started a crusade to help us find create camps for men. So they are in the books for 2017. You know, I
0: want to camp for men, so we can sit there and talk about the women.
3: Exactly. You know and, it, and, and get the tips on how to make them happy, and it's really simple. Really simple.
0: Yeah, it's called heavy sedation. (laughs) For us. No, okay,
3: So Camp Haramut really is a place where you can go to disconnect, unwind, uh, get yourself out in nature, reconnect with yourself, and really a sisterhood of women who are looking to make life better.
0: However... Let me be devil's advocate. This isn't like Kumbaya.
3: No, it's not Kumbaya at all. Actually, I collected the experts in health and wellness and sex and love and parenting and productivity. Well, you did that
0: because of your history as a producer on television. You had the Rolodex to kill all Rolodexes. So you just picked
3: up the phone. 100% all these years that I spent as a producer at the Today Show and and in network news, I really found uh, people who had the answers, had the secrets to helping you live life better. And so I've brought them together and mixed it with, fun, with wilderness and fun and games and really created a program that is completely turning women's travel on its ear. However, and we are now going into the luxury camping side of, the, of things. Hotels are looking for luxury vacations that have purpose, and their customers are asking for programming that they're not getting in normal hotels. So we've just partnered with the Fairmont and the Grand Del Mar in San Diego, and in September, we're going to be doing three days uh, of a spa-based camp experience it does not get any better than that for women who want to be pampered with a purpose so basically how many people will be involved in this how many just 30 It's a very small intimate group right all learning how
0: to say the word garcon
3: exactly i I knew it no or learning how to say the word no that's one of the things we do so we bring in you see
0: i told you we have to we have to have a camp for us so we can talk about the women because it's the women who say no no
3: no (laughs) no we don't say no enough and so so we have experts there who are going to teach you how to receive and how to sort of learn how to not always be a giver but but learn how to take care of yourself. We have someone there who's talking about productivity. We have someone who's gonna teach you how to meditate. Even if you've tried four thousand times and Deepak Chopra can't teach you, this woman can teach you.
0: You know what's amazing to me and, and I know this because well you share this information with me off offline and that is, you know, hotels don't make money when you just stay once. Airlines don't make money if you just fly once. You need to wanna to come back and tell your friends
3: you have a return ratio that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. We, we just started three years ago, and we have a 40% return rate. Women come to this experience to be able to get out in nature and to learn and to pick up tools to help them elevate their lives. We, as as human beings today, men and women, we don't deal with stuff until it's on fire. You don't go to the doctor until your foot's falling off. You don't deal with a problem until it really is not in- really putting a roadblock into your life. And so what we do is we bring in these experts in all these fields and they give you tangible tools that can help you in all areas of your life. And so we do it. And there's a
0: travel component.
3: There's a huge travel component. Women... Come to we we go to campsites, little kids summer camps. We rent out in the off season. And are now, there s'mores? There's always s'mores, <laughs> dark chocolate sea salt <laughs> s'mores. How about that? Um, but now the hotel industry is really looking for programming. They say their guests who are paying a lot of money to stay in these beautiful places are really kind of tired of sitting by the pool and and hitting a golf course and they're looking to learn and to improve their lives but not they don't want to sit in a Holiday Inn or a Hyatt watching PowerPoint demonstrations all weekend so we combine this real purposeful education helping women find their passion write their legacy figure out what they want to be when they grow up and learn so it's about
0: the next chapter it's
3: about the next chapter and it's also about how to Take what you're doing right now and make yourself a little happier. Women today are really frustrated with the speed of life and the technology that's spinning around them. And it's a way to disconnect and reconnect with yourself and a community. We build community at these camps. And there's you, you can't go to a hotel and be part of a community in most cases. And this is a new program that Fairmont is jumping into based on the trend of Women who want to connect with each other and create a place and a space. This one's about pampering, but it's also about living life better. It's
0: about pampering, but let's be honest, it's not about just a spa.
3: No. Although we are shutting down the spa for five hours each day to bring in programs that are going to help women. We're going to do circles. We're going to do these workshops that really involve tools, tangible tools that can help these women Figure out what they want to be. Figure out how they can live life better and get happier. That's the bottom line.
0: And the name of the program is called Camp Powerment, and the the website is an easy one: camppowerment.com. No men allowed yet.
3: Not yet, but soon it's coming. <laughs> this is this is a trend. This is a trend. Tammy, is, may I? <laughs> you may, but this this really is a trend. People really want to go away and vacation but they want to learn they want they don't want to just read they want a more
0: genuine a more authentic experience
3: exactly and that's what they get and they also get a community that they connect with afterwards which is kind of mind-boggling they're doing reunions all over the country right see
0: you know there's such a thing as a girlfriend getaway this is so much more intense it
3: really it's intense but it's fun
8: we have clearance clarence roger roger what's our vector victor
2: tower radio clearance over that's clarence over over
0: Project, huh? Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. Joining me now is something that is better than that. He knows Beverly Hills better than just about anybody. He's the author of The Beverly Hills Hotel and Bungalows, and of course, the other hotel, the other book, of course, Beverly Hills, The First 100 Years, Robert Anderson. And we've met before because uh, a couple of years ago, we did this, this show from Beverly Hills. And, and once again, you, you just enlightened me with so many great stories of people who don't really know the true Beverly Hills story. What can I do to tell you? Well, let's start. I mean, first of all, give me a, a sense of space and size. What, how big is Beverly Hills?
8: Well, Beverly Hills is about five square miles. Um, Beverly Hills started off as a in 1906 as a um, oil development company. There were oil rigs here. There were oil rigs here, and they didn't find oil. So um, uh, Henry Huntington had laid in his trolley car tracks that ran throughout Santa Monica Boulevard, Burton Way, through the city, and he eventually laid in 1,100 miles of track throughout Southern California. And Henry Huntington has the uh, Huntington Library and Museum in Pasadena and uh, San Marino area. And what he did is he laid a track through here. And we had a stop here in Beverly Hills. At that time, it was called Morocco Junction, which um, back in the early 1900s, they had themes for the different cities they were opening. They had Venice with the canals and the and the gondoliers and, 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 and
0: by the way they they really did have them
8: yes they did i know and seal beach and huntington beach which henry huntington so in any case he laid out these tracks and the money came nothing sold for the first mm, eight years
0: you well oh to be back around then
8: wow right. 1906 as a matter of fact i'm going to tell you a story is my grandfather bought what's now Brooks Brothers on Rodeo Drive for $1,500. <laughs> okay. I made that much money sitting here in front of you in the, just the last couple of minutes. And um, it's uh, it's unbelievable the prices that are going out of control here. It's uh, Chanel just sold recently for $152 million for 7,500 square feet on Rodeo Drive. And... I think they'd all be quite amazed my great-grandmother who built the Beverly Hills Hotel in 1911 and opened it with my grand grandfather in 1912 in May of 1912 that there was literally nothing here everything was built around the Beverly Hills Hotel not to take away from the montage which we are at now it's a beautiful hotel but this is the grand grand dame of Beverly Hills and every it's the pink palace it's the pink palace now What happened was is that this was in the middle of nowhere. and You've seen the photographs, and it sits here by itself. And it was a big venture to come here from the Hollywood Hotel that my great-grandmother had taken managership in 1902 and built that out to 250 rooms over the next 10 years before coming and building the Beverly Hills Hotel at Henry Huntington's urging. Now, Henry Huntington and uh, Max Whittier and Burton Green owned oil companies. They didn't find it here, but they found water here, which was, as we know today, is even more valuable than, you know, anything. So um, they decided that the movie "There Will Be Blood" um, was based around uh, bringing oil, the oil people, and th- that where they were developing oil fields up in Kern County, and they did quite well. Um, That's Bakersfield. Bakersfield. And the money, they wanted to treat their families to something special. So Beverly Hills was set out in such a way that north of Santa Monica Boulevard were mid-range homes, acre plus, and then above Sunset were five acre pluses where you could keep your horses. (laughs) And uh, actually the Beverly Hills Hotel kept 20 gated Kentucky horses for the guests' private use. And they'd have rides up in the hills behind the hotel. And as a matter of fact, they actually had fox hunts behind the hotel which uh, people find out arguably... in the bar yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes so it has developed into something special the city um i mean i'm very proud to live here and i'm my my family's heritage here in beverly hills and i feel very comfortable here with our police fire and medical attention that
0: well it's a community that everybody seems to know everybody else
8: well, they do, or if they don't, they know someone else who does. Yeah. Um, I happened to have lunch yesterday with the, the new chief of police, who's a woman, who just came on, and she's a lovely lady, and I had lunch with her yesterday, and we're very progressive here, let's put it that way. Yes, you are.
0: Now, it's a whole lot more expensive to be here now than it was when your grandmother showed up.
8: Oh, absolutely.
0: Right? And, and so many people have been priced out of it. So you have a great tourism volume here. People who really like to come and shop, and, and they better bring their wallets, right? Not. Nah. And we, we go back to the days of Beverly Hills Cop. You know the the Eddie the Eddie, the Eddie Murphy I mean, Eddie Murphy movies. What's changed since that?
8: You know what's funny is I was watching that the other night. They had it was on AMC or something. And I was watching it, and some of the stores that they go past on Rodeo Drive. Right. And I'm going, wow. You know the Daisy uh, discotheque. That's and, gone. Well, a lot of it's gone, um, but Gucci and uh, Fred Heyman started this trend for the street and Dick Carroll from Carroll. Well, Carole Fred Company.
0: Heyman was Giorgio, wasn't it?
8: Yes, correct. Yeah. And um, as a matter of fact, unfortunately, he, he passed away. He just passed away, away recently. just yeah. passed away, yeah. and they're having services for him this Sunday, and he brought us that Robert Graham sculpture on Rodeo Drive that's a beautiful torso, and uh, we're going to pay tribute to him, he and... Betty and his son Robert are very close friends of mine. But
0: I remember the days of Bijan. Oh yeah, and, and Bijan was was a whole different approach to marketing. It was basically let me insult you and you can stand in line for it.
8: Make an appointment.
0: And you had to make an appointment to to overpay. <laughs> you had to make it's an true. appointment to overpay. It's true, right? And people did. Yep. Now I remember a story that I'm sure you do. It was on New Year's Eve. I remember it so well. I was, I was going to a party. Actually, it was New Year's night, so it was the night of January first. And I get a police radio call, I was working for CBS then, hmm. that there was a fire on Sunset Boulevard. Oh, and I'm also a fireman in New York. Oh. And so when I, I said, they said, can you get over there right away? So I run over, and the minute I get over there, I knew right away it was arson, because I saw the fire burning in four separate locations. <laughs>
8: <laughs> <laughs> and that was the Shakes home on Sunset right. Boulevard, That's that right. they
0: just completely torched one, I mean, completely gone.
8: It's called something lightning. Yeah. But, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, that was something. They had a whole uh, interior room that was uh, climate controlled that could go from 20 below zero to 115 in a matter of five or 10 minutes.
0: We're talking with Robert Anderson, the author of the Beverly Hills Hotel, and of course, Beverly Hills, the first 100 years. When that fire happened, that was almost a turning point uh, in, in the most recent history of Beverly Hills because people didn't know what to do in terms of zoning because
8: before he sh- before he showed up you could have as big a place as you want well no one thought that anyone would possibly do what he did and as a matter of fact when he had uh, statues out in front with their private parts painted in yeah and plastic flowers and every
0: bus and car stopped to take a picture it was yeah. unbelievable robert stick with us because when we sure. come back we have a whole lot more to talk about the history past present and maybe even future of beverly hill
2: Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now.
0: Back to that silly fire. I mean, first of all, before the fire happened, it was a big traffic jam on Sunset Boulevard because everybody stopped to take pictures of the nude statues. That's correct. Right? right? Which were quite colorful, I might add.
8: No, they were painted in with strategic parts. Yes, they were. And uh, so we didn't have building codes for residential at that point in time. Isn't that amazing? No one thought anybody would do something like this. And that's when it all started. But after the fire, it sat there for about 15 to 20 years. It was in litigation. It was in litigation. The guy, the sheik, disappeared and had numerous wives. And it was in litigation. Well, if
0: you have, there's a rule. If you have numerous wives, sooner or later, you're going to have yeah. to disappear.
8: Half here, half there, and then you're out. <laughs> that, what's in
0: that property now?
8: There are two very large homes there. And um, it's right on Sunset Boulevard. And um, it's a very expensive home, but it's right on Sunset Boulevard. And like when when we were kids or younger, this wasn't Sunset Boulevard wasn't a freeway, and that's what's happened here. The traffic has gotten so horrendous here in Beverly Hills. All Los right, Sanchez. so let
0: me ask you this question because you've been here so long, yeah. you'd know this. What's your secret place to go hide out in Beverly Hills? Where do you like to go hide out?
8: Well, one of the places I like to go is down by the pool at the Beverly Hills Hotel, and most people don't know this, and I'm sharing it with you and your listeners that you can actually go down to the pool, have lunch um, and look at the beauties or the gentlemen down by the pool, and have your lunch and I'm just that's a little tip, and you don't have to be a guest there, that's correct.
0: That's a cool thing and of course, the Cabana boys at the Beverly Hills Hotel are notorious
8: that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they know who, what, where, and... They know everything. And too much. Well, there
0: was a guy, and you remember him, who used to be the maitre d' at the polo lounge. Dino? Dino. And Dino had quite... He had quite the operation going there. There was a rule. Let's see how much you, you and I will agree yeah. on this. They had a rule at the polo lounge that no unescorted women were allowed into the polo lounge after 6 o'clock at night.
8: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, I'm not going to comment on that. I've been happily married for 30 years. And, and, uh, and But I've seen some really strange things go on there. Do you remember when they had phones that they would bring to your table so and plug table. in? Exactly. And they had the little Philip Morris man. Yes, he, with, and he was a small, he was a little person. Vertically challenged. Yes. And he'd go around with this clipboard and with bells on it saying... Paging Mr. Greenberg and the, big, yeah, right. and the yeah. biggest
0: scam was you wanted to have yourself paged at the Polo Lounge even if nobody was calling And the pool Yes And the pool they and, have- and by the way I know the guy whose name was Johnny His name was Johnny and he yeah, had a, and he had a little right. high
8: voice phone call Mr. Neiman, Mr. You know, <laughs>
0: and, and you go, really for me Of course you were the one who called yourself Yeah you know? I mean it was, it, the egos that were there were unbelievable But if you still go in there today they will tell you this is where Marilyn Monroe sat. This is where Clark Gable sat. This is where Jimmy Cagney sat. This is, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing. And how many deals have been made in that
8: polo lounge? Well, Jeffrey Katzenberg said that everybody in the, in the movie or uh, film industry or the industry in general has had one major deal happen there at the hotel. Some instrumental deal that has happened in the polo lounge or on the grounds of the hotel in the business. And, um, but Katzenberg was notorious for double booking breakfasts. He'd have one breakfast at the Bel Air and one
0: breakfast at the Polo Lounge.
8: Well, it's both owned by the same people now. It
0: is now, yes, of course. All right. The Dorchester
8: guys, of course. And Warren Beatty, you know, would... I'm going to tell you a funny story. For those people who remember the movie Shampoo, <laughs> <laughs> now we can go back and talk about that
0: scene from, the, uh, from that movie. Yeah.
8: So, I'm with Warren Beatty, and he was... I think he's still working on it. Howard Hughes... Um, he was going to play Howard Hughes in the later years and we were working at the hotel and I had gotten him photographs of what the actual phone numbers were on the phone and what the bungalows looked like in the 50s and 60s and he told me one day he said, you know I'm going to tell you a story." he said I was walking back to my room, my bungalow at the hotel and I was being followed by these three big men in black suits and I got back to the room and I called the front desk and I said, hey, who are these people from the Tattler, or something that are following me? They said, "Mr. Hugh, Mr. Mr. Beatty, is it's not about you. It's about um, Howard Hughes, and he's in there, and those are his men that are following you." So
0: exactly. Now, <laughs> the real story that I want to share with you about Howard Hughes, because yep. my mom was a Los Angeles native, she grew up here, mm-hmm. and and she tells a couple of unbelievable stories.
5: Where are the wagons?
3: The wagons too slow can not
7: you right? It's not that he
5: can't ride.
7: How is it you put it home?
5: They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. How would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs?
0: Was running RKO uh, Pictures, which was on Melrose Avenue, right where Paramount Studios is now. Uh, Robert, I mean Howard Hughes, was and he kept and he kept a number of bungalows at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And Howard Hughes, I'm, I'm, guys, I'm not making this up. He was obsessed with breasts, and he was the one who designed Rosalind Russell's bullet bra. Remember that? Yep. But what he would do, and this is just such a wild story. He would find some 17-year-old beautiful busty girl in the Midwest and have her sent out by train with her mother as her escort and they'd put them in the bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel and say, stay here, you're on full expenses until Mr. Hughes calls. Sometimes he didn't call for a year. They were sitting in there, just it was just basic, ka-ching, ka room service, having the greatest time, probably at the pool with the pool boys, yeah. who knows. And then when it was finally time, if he ever did call, to have the girl come over to the studio. He had actually driven the route from the Beverly Hills Hotel all the way over and around Melrose and he drove it in such a way, this is how crazy he was, he wanted to have the driver go only a specific way. Not the fastest way, not the slowest way, but the smoothest way because he didn't want the breasts to jostle. And that's only when he
8: called. There were some people who never got called. And maybe they're still living at the hotel. Well, there were starlets that he would have three or four in the actual hotel in different parts of the hotel. This guy was amazing how he would juggle these women. I mean, big stars. Ava Gardner and, you know, I'm not even going to go into who they all were. But they were big stars. And he'd go to one room for a while and then go over to another room for a while. And he had this this whole thing. So basically
0: he was an air traffic controller.
8: Basically, yeah. a very dangerous uh, air traffic controller. And another thing about Howard Hughes is that Smitty was the front doorman at the hotel and was there for 50 years. Well, he saw everything. Yeah, he saw everything. And Howard Hughes, Smitty told me that he Howard Hughes borrowed his car once and, and never brought it back and <laughs> lost it somewhere. So he bought him a new car. He had one car parked out on Crescent Drive that just sat there. The wheels all went flat on it. Weeds were growing through it, and the Beverly Hills hotel would never ticket it. I mean, the Beverly Hills police would never because they
0: knew whose car it was. Yeah, yeah see, money talks. Yes, it does. It still just, talks. It still talks. So, okay, how many years later? What's is there anything that surprises you about Beverly Hills?
8: Nothing, nothing. Um, we've had quite of influx of uh, different nationalities. That um, the homes that they're building here are just so out of control and so big that I don't understand it, why someone Cause needs... Because only
0: two people are living in
8: there. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know, they're building fifty, seventy thousand 70,000 square foot homes here. And especially up on the ridges around Mulholland and Beverly Park and some of these other locations, I, you know, I want to be able to yell for my wife and she can hear me, right? <laughs> you know, I got a 5,000 square foot house. I'm just fine with that. And, uh, no, there's been changes here. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Okay, what have you liked about the changes?
8: There's a big pause here. Um, change is inevitable, and if we can control it, I'm a commissioner for the Parks and Recreation for the City of Beverly Hills, and we oversee our park system, and we've done some fabulous things. One of the things is is we just restored the fountain at Wilshire and Santa Monica Boulevard. Oh, right by the Beverly Hilton. By the Beverly Hilton and the new Waldorf Astoria right. that's being built there. And... Um, I mean, this takes a lot of money. When it was originally put in by Harold Lloyd's mother in the Beverly Hills Women's Club, I think it cost like twelve thousand dollars. We spent a million and a half just to put it back together, you know. It, but it's something that when I was a child, and you probably saw it as a young oh, man, of course, the beautiful colors and the lights. Well, you
0: you 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 based your trip based on the fountain, you know, and you could see the fountain because you know, oh, here comes Wilshire, or here comes Santa Monica. That's right, exactly.
8: And then the other thing we did here in the, the 100th anniversary of Beverly Hills of the incorporation was uh, I put in the sign that lights up that says Beverly Hills as a recreation of what the, you would see from the trolley stop across the street. Amazing. And then in 2014, we added the lily pond in front of it. So I'm very pleased about that. So
0: you're happy about some things. Yes, I am. Good. (laughs) Robert Anderson, the author of Beverly Hills, The First Hundred Years. What a remarkable book it is.
3: If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first.
0: probably our best source of information because they live what they do he's the fire chief of beverly hills ralph mondell how are you sir
1: i'm well thank you for having me here
0: oh listen thank you for being here uh you know i always like to say you know you've been in everybody's restaurant you've been in everybody's hotel you've been in everybody's house you know people take tours of beverly hills to meet the celebrities you respond to celebrities and
1: everybody else. We do that occasionally, yes. Yeah. We, we've been to a few celebrities' homes, yes. It's a different way to see a tour. <laughs> and, and often it's uh, we don't get to view the home or get to look around the property like others get to do because right. we're focused on the patient. Sure, and when you're talking that, you're talking about medevacs and, and, and medical calls too. Yes, yes, that's correct. I mean, most people don't realize that. Like, for example, I'm, I'm a volunteer fireman in New York, and one-third of our calls are medical. Two-thirds of ours. About 65% of our calls are emergency medical services related. Wow. So every one of your stations has EMTs and and paramedics? Correct. We have three paramedic rescues in the city, and then all of our personnel are EMT certified. So I'm going to presume that when you get banged out, the the paramedics just roll anyway? We send paramedics on every emergency medical service call that we get. And then EMTs follow up to help them move the patient, get them transported to the hospital, whatever the need might be. What's the, the most surprising
0: thing... When people come to visit you from other departments and they're coming into town, what do they want to see?
1: They often want to see our oldest fire engine, which is a 1928. That's your parade parade car, right? 1928 Aarons Fox. Yeah. Where do you keep it? We keep it at the fire station, headquarters fire station. We purchased two of them, the city did, in 1928. And now we took those two and made it one. Uh, the one that we have was in service until 1966, and it's absolutely beautiful. And hopefully you'll get by to take a look at and it. And it still runs? It does. Wow. Still Still pumps water. It still runs. We take it for parades and other events in the city.
0: Right. But your equipment now is a little bit more sophisticated than that.
1: A little bit, yes.
0: Yeah. I always tell people if they're staying at a hotel or a high-rise, I like staying below the eighth floor. I like staying below the sixth floor. Why is that, do you think?
1: Well, I think that's uh, because our ladders generally reach on our aerial ladders only to about the 6th or 7th or 8th floor, depending on how close we can get to the building. Uh, but keep in mind, all of those high-rise buildings have good shelter-in-place areas and good exit areas with their stairwells. And sprinklers. Most, well, every uh, hotel, every high-rise in this city, with the exception of two, are fully sprinklered and fully alarmed. And the other two, they got grandfathered in somehow. They did, and they happen to be uh, apartment buildings. Wow.
0: Yeah. But everybody, if you're going to build a a hotel like the Montage, you better have the fire codes up to speed.
1: Fully sprinkled. Since 1988, every property, every building in the city has been required to be sprinkled. And,
0: of course, the lesson we all learned was the MGM Grand Fire back in 1981 in in Las Vegas.
1: That was the big one for That was
0: the wake-up call for everybody, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that was a huge one. And you realize the life of loss, and so much of that could have been prevented by keeping that fire small. And they just couldn't control it because they didn't no. have the systems. No, and the the only way to get water on the fire was to actually drag hose lines through the floors and and get water on it through the standpipe system. And by that time, it was too late. Very big. Most sprinklers, most fires are put out by two or less sprinklers. Ninety-six, I believe, percent of the fires in sprinkler buildings are put up by two sprinklers or less.
0: Yes, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you uh, have a gas oven or a gas stove. And you have a a, a, heat, a heat
1: activated sprinkler above it don't leave the pilot light on too long <laughs> you need to be very careful we, we see uh, with production companies movie production companies they'll sometimes put their lights uh, too close to the sprinklers when they're and that'll analogous. activate and that'll activate the sprinklers that will activate the sprinkler wow yeah and a lot of people think that when one sprinkler goes off they all go off throughout no, they're the heat, building. Sa- heat, sa- heat yeah, they're all independent yeah all right the most important question i got to ask you other than fire safety of course is you got to eat. Yep. Where do you guys look, like to go out and hang out to eat? You know, my favorite restaurant is a small place called Portavia, just up the street from here. It's got a real nice open environment. They've got a wide uh, range of food items and soups and, and ice creams and desserts. Really neat. I get to see a lot of people that I know in the city, and then I get to meet people that I don't know very well. And it's, it's really neat, a really great environment. How's their fire safety? Great. Yeah, I know the owner. <laughs> yeah, you he, expect he, it every time you eat there. He often asks me to come in and take a look around for their storage and things that they do a little differently, and we're happy to do that. Great. What's what's one of your hidden places, a real hidden place? Uh, I, I think probably it's kind of hidden in plain sight at Xi'an. It's a Chinese restaurant, again on Cannon Drive, uh, on the east side of the street. It's a small place. It is a small place, and I don't know what their occupant load is, but I'm guessing it's less than 50 because I can only remember one door going in and out. And so it's. I see. As a fireman, if I only remember see only see one door going in and out, I'm sitting facing the window. Of course, yeah. (laughs) There's probably an exit to the rear, but I haven't explored that. (laughs) But it's really great, and they have um, great servers. They'll give you anything that that you want, and they just keep bringing it and keep bringing, keep asking you what you want more of and what you want to try. It's really a neat place.
0: What's your biggest challenge?
1: I think our biggest challenge right now is replacing the people that we have retiring. Um, there's so many good people in the world are you trying to tell me that the beverly hills fire department's having trouble recruiting we don't have necessarily trouble recruiting but we have trouble getting good quality people got it
3: you've been listening to peter greenberg worldwide catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world
0: If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
4: Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. <laughs> Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll
2: be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.
4: Survivor's back, and so is
1: On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist a new co host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladaris. Hi. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.